So uh, we're in Philemon again. Philemon, it's that small little book right in front of Hebrews. So if you turn to Hebrews, you can just look back one page and you'll be in Philemon. We're going to talk about relationships today. And all this week while I was studying, I kept having this song come to my head over and over and over again. And it wasn't a Christian song, so nobody freak out. But I'm thinking, why do I know this dumb song? Why do I know the lyrics? Why do I know the words? Why? I don't even know who wrote the song. So, but I'm, I'm studying, I'm looking at Philemon, and I kept feeling this idea of heaviness. Like, this feels heavy. There's like, there's this weight, this tension in our relationships. And so the song that kept coming to my head is, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Hey, if you're not familiar, here, play that song for me, Davian. The jam from 1970. Just enjoy the ballad. Anybody know the song? Just raise your hand if you heard it. Sing it out if you know it. Seriously, let's hear it. You don't know it. See, sometimes your church is just a little bit too young. We're missing a generation, potentially. All right, Davian, thanks. That song was in my head all week long. So I entitled the message today, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. And we're going to talk about relationships a little bit. Philemon addresses, gets addressed about a relationship he has with Onesimus. I'm going to move this for a second. Anybody have people over to their house? Invite them over. Here's the most awkward part of every invitation to somebody's house when you come into the house. You enter the front door. What do you do with your shoes? Is that true? Am I right? Do I take my shoes off or do I walk through the house with whatever I have on the bottom of my shoe? Now, the reason we're nervous is because most of us don't know. We don't know what's on the bottom of our shoe. We stepped in a lot of stuff all day long. So we're invited to a company's house, whether it be somebody we're really close to, like family, or just a random acquaintance, and we're stopping in, or maybe we're dropping off sometime, you know, and they invite you in, and you wrestle with, do I take my shoes off and come in, or do I just stand right here in the foyer and be uncomfortable and have this awkward conversation for five minutes or 500 minutes, who knows how long it's going to be, or do I take my shoes off and go and sit down and have a conversation? Now, guys don't like to do this because of the stuff on the bottom of the feet, but also the thing that's inside the shoe. Because as soon as you sit down with your shoes off, what starts to happen? You start to remember the day that you had and the smells that exist. And all of a sudden, this beautiful relationship that you think you're, in, you know, you're engaging in because you're in somebody's living room, starts. you, you smell this odor. And you're like, ugh. That's a little rough. Is that me or is that the dog? 
Is that me or is that the baby? What is that smell? And you don't want, boys, be honest. There's a time every now and again where you like put your hand on your foot and rub it just a little bit. Don't even pretend like I'm not telling truth here. And then you do this. I'm not lying, am I? That's happened. And everything gets weird after that because you realize it's you. That stinks. That's tense. That's intense. But that's, that's an everyday occurrence, I think, for most of us. Relationships are hard. And it's, simp- it's as simple as like taking your shoes off when you step into somebody's house because there's all sorts of built-in pressures and tensions just with taking your shoes off when you come over for dinner. I have an outline in the bulletin for you, and I'm trying to fill in the blanks the best I can. But I want you to follow along with me just a little bit. We have to have this acknowledgement that relationships have tension. All of them. And tension isn't bad. Tension isn't a problem. Tension isn't even something that's that's supposed to be run away from or, or forgotten. Relationships have tension. And one of the first things that we can do is just acknowledge that they have tension. There's things that are about each other that we don't like. There's things about each other that we don't appreciate. There's things about the way our feet smell towards one another. We're like, I don't like the odor that you're giving off. And we just, the simple fact that we have to acknowledge that there's tension in relationships. Look with me in Philemon. Let's pick up where we left off. I'm not even going to recap last week. But we're going to pick up in verse 8. And Paul writes to, to Philemon, he says this, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner... Also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So we talked about last week, and we kind of did that video where we ran through what Philemon is all about, and the bulk of this letter is about Paul asking Philemon about freeing this slave who ran away from him, Onesimus. And he's beginning, last week was all about reminding Philemon, I guess I am going to recap, reminding Philemon that he's grateful that he has his church in his home, and and he loves that this church is doing good things and loving one another, and they're on mission together, and they're doing life together, and we're so grateful for all the things that we heard, and all the good things that you're doing for the name of Jesus. And Paul commends Philemon for having this beautiful church in his house. And, but then he gets to this point in the letter, this, the bulk and the meat of what he's really writing about. And he says, I appeal to you twice, Paul says, I appeal to you. And he knows the situation because he led Onesimus to the Lord in prison. Onesimus was in prison with him, with Paul. And he leads him to Jesus. He points him to the way, the way, the truth, the life in Jesus Christ. He points him. And now he understands. I, I'm imagining as they're getting to know each other. Onesimus, my name's Paul. Paul, my name's Onesimus. How'd you get into this prison? Well, I'm a runaway slave. Oh, who's your owner? Philemon. 
I know Philemon. And the relationship starts. So when Paul writes this, he understands. He understands that the relationship between Philemon and Esmas is filled with tension. There's a broken thing that happened there. The relationship is a mess. So as people, as God's people, we have to acknowledge that there's tension in our relationships. I'd like to invite my wife up here, Dr. Faisal. Ooh, she's a heavy hitter. This is Dr. Faisal, Dr. Adrian. I'm just kidding. We've been married for 17 years. And we fight too. We argue about money. We argue about in-laws. We, sometimes we fight about church. And there's tension in our marriage. And we love each other. Thank you. See, even in beautiful relationships that you have, there's tension. You all fight with your husbands and wives. You all fight with your kids. You argue. Why? Human nature, we leverage what we want. We leverage our desires. We fight for the things that we believe in, even good things. Sometimes when we don't get along with somebody, we bulldoze right through every single conversation we have, and we ignore their, their felt needs, and we just destroy the conversation so that we can get on the other side of it, and so we can get freedom. We escape from uncomfortable relationships. We run from tension. It's our nature. When we don't get along with somebody, we're like, eh, eh. How many people, and, I'm, and this is even harder in a smaller church. Listen, I don't have tension with anybody yet. I will at some point because we're a family, right? And you're, there's some point I'm going to do something, everybody goes, whoa, 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 whoa. Did he just do that? Did he not wear a tie for two weeks in a row to church? Is he wearing jeans right now? Yes, I'm wearing jeans. I have Nike socks on, too, not even dress socks. You like that, Caleb? You're wearing Under Armour. We're a Nike church right now. He threw a church, it's chewing church. See, tension's going to happen. We're gonna, we're, there's going to be things that we don't like about each other. I already don't like Caleb because he wears Under Armour. I don't like Caleb because he spells his name wrong. Caleb is spelled with a K. My middle name is Caleb with a K. And I was born in 1976. I came before you did. Shh! That's irrelevant right now. So when you walk through a church, right, especially in a small church, it's easy to run into people that we have tension with. And we tend to maybe turn the other way. You know what's fun about this church is there's like three hallways. And there's not a lot of easy access from room to room, right? You have to walk down a hallway and go into a room. There's only one room. Actually, there's two. There's this way right here where you can duck through and go to in, down the hallway. Or there's the gathering place room where you can duck through. But other than that, you're running into people in this church. 
You're going to run into them in the bathrooms. You're going to run into them in the classrooms. You're definitely going to run into them in the hallway. And the bigger we get, the more we're going to run into one another, right? And so what happens when we don't like one another? There's nowhere to avoid each other here. That's beautiful. Because we have to acknowledge that tension exists. So when Paul is writing to Philemon, he's appealing, knowing very well that this relationship has been shattered because Onesimus ran away. He disappeared. He, he fled from his master. And so when he asked Philemon to forgive him, to welcome him back into his household, to, to bring him back in, he knows full well the tension that exists within this relationship. And he's not afraid of it. Because that's part of what the body of Christ is all about. And what we'll see here is that Paul is beginning to give us a picture, a window into what the new community of believers in Jesus is supposed to look like. Not just the way it has always been, but there's this new way in which we're supposed to interact with one another. This new way in which we're supposed to treat one another. See, it's not a problem to have tension. If you go to church with people who you are always easy to talk to, always fun to be around, and always closely aligned with your thoughts, your beliefs, and the way that you vote, your Christianity is too comfortable. The glorious thing about the good news, about the gospel, is that in this new community, It's created by people who annoy one another. And Paul is trying to teach this church in Philemon that that's what it's going to look like. You guys might be fighting. You might hate each other. He owes you. Onesimus owes you, Philemon. But there's a new way. So how do we live in a Christ-centered community? Christ-centered family. Last week, remember, we talked about family. Our family is, our church family is. Knowing and acknowledging these tensions we have with one another. Relationships need recalibration. They need recalibration. Let's pick up the text again. Verse 12. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that, you, that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent. In order that your, now listen, he's appealing to Philemon's heart and his, and his new faith in Christ. I would prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion but of your own accord, your own newness in Jesus, your own recalibration in the way in which that you look at the world and faith and that you've been, you've been united with Christ and you've bought into this idea that Jesus is Messiah and now everything that you see is through a different window. It's through a different glass. You see life differently. And so Paul could have said, do it this way because I told you and taught you and I've led you and I want you to do it this way. But no, he says, I don't want it to be from me, I want to be on your own compulsion. Philemon's view of the world was being recalibrated. 
The gospel delivers all of us from selfishness. And Paul addresses that with Philemon. Act on your own accord. Operate in this relationship with Onesimus as a man who has faith in Christ just like you. See, Christianity once again introduces us to a new relationship between men. And Jesus modeled it for us when he walked the earth. He modeled it with the Samaritan woman at the well. He modeled it with the tax collector Levi when they went to party at his house. He modeled it with every leper, sick person, child, single woman that he hugged and embraced along his journey on this earth. He showed his disciples what it looked like to love people in a different way, to be recalibrated to look like how God looks on people. See, we're all in the same need, the desperate need to be forgiven. Each one of us has, to be, has that need to be united with Christ the same. There isn't one of you in this room who needs Jesus more than the next. We're all broken, desperate, and depraved in our sin, each and every one of us, except for maybe Joy. Joy might be the cutest little kid, and I've just seen her a little bit more than everybody else, so you other kids can start to work your way up the ladder, but that kid's cute. Fat little face. We're all desperate for Jesus. We're all hungry for forgiveness. We're all longing. Verse 17, and Philemon says this, So if you consider me your partner, koinonia, fellowship, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it. To say nothing of your your owing me, even your own self. See, Paul, once again, is giving us a picture, a snapshot, a view into what this new group of people, the church, is going to look like with a recalibration of relationships. There's no social system, no ethnicity, no money, no status. There's no slave or free, Greek or Jew, circumcised, uncircumcised. None of it exists anymore. In Jesus, all of our relationships have been recalibrated and human classifications are smashed. They're gone. Paul says it in verse 18, charge it to my account if he owes you anything. It's a picture again into what Jesus did on the cross, the gospel, the good news that we are all reminded daily that that God said, charge it to Jesus' account. He's going to the cross for your sin and everything is paid for because of what he did. Thank you, thank you. It's interesting how Paul doesn't address the atrocity of slavery. He doesn't, he doesn't point out how horrible a situation slavery is. He doesn't speak ill against it. Turn with me over to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 6. 
Ephesians 6, starting with verse 5. Paul could have written multiple paragraphs, multiple sentences, blasting what slavery is and what it does and how it hurts and, and, the, and how unchristlike it is. Verse 5 says this, bond servants of chapter 6 of Ephesians, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with goodwill as the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. Instead of attacking Paul's asking everyone to recalibrate the way they look at each other. That this new humanity, this new thing, the church, this family that's created, has to look at each other differently. Interesting little historic fact. These letters written from prison, the prison epistles, a lot of what's happening here in his comments to the church the Colossian church and the Ephesian church. He's deriving so much of that thought from his relationship with his slave, Onesimus. This book of Philemon, this little chat, 24 verses or whatever, is setting the stage for all of these letters that are about to go out. So remember what I said last week. Colossians, the book of the letter of Colossians to so the, the church in Colossae, was delivered at the same time this personal letter was delivered to Philemon. Paul addresses slavery and the bond servant and the relationships also in Colossians chapter 3, verses 22 through 4, verse 1. And it looks the same as the church in Ephesus. And he's sending this stuff out to say, here's how you need to work with one another. Here's the new way in which we're supposed to have relationship with one another. And all of this, the tension, the acknowledgement of the tension, and the recalibration leads us to this last little thing. Relationships can and will transform the world because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel and the gospel alone transforms every relationship, every relationship under the sun. And it transforms the world as those relationships are lived out in this world. What does it look like for a group of people to love each other so well, so well because the gospel has changed them from the inside out so that others that are not part of the family of God go, that's different. There's something unique about them. I don't agree with their political views. I don't agree with the way they do things. I don't agree with how they spank their children. I don't agree with how they homeschool. I don't agree, I don't agree, I don't agree. But there is something incredibly different about the, the way that they live and care and take care for one another and build each other up and support and equip and change everything around them. See, the kingdom of God is supposed to change the world step by step because the people of God are transformed from the inside out. And that's the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. Right. That's how we do things. That's how we live. 
The relationships that are recalibrated, filled with tension, change the world and each other because of the good news, the gospel. Nothing else. Nothing else but the gospel. We can work hard and study hard and think hard and do cool things and have beautiful buildings and have the best worship band and the most spectacular pictures and the coolest kids' ministry, and that does nothing without the gospel. The gospel is the bedrock that transforms the world. I got a little hype there. That felt good to say that to you guys because we're going to do it together. See, Paul's request to Philemon is undermining every cultural norm that exists. Paul is transforming worldly perspective and view and idea into a Christ-centered, gospel-oriented perspective. Another little letter that Paul decided to write while he's in prison is 2 Corinthians, to the Corinth church, which he planted, built up, and loved dearly, just like he loved all of his churches. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians for a second. Teens, I wanted to say something to you guys specifically. Sometimes, sometimes it's hard to, and I'm a Bible nerd, I understand that, right? But I, and I know it's not easy just to pick up your Bible and start to dig through Scripture and, and, and do things like that. But, but I want to point to you that these little verses all through, all through Scripture are all connected. It's a 355 letter word, 355 word letter to Philemon is interconnected all through the New Testament. All the ideas and topics are, are weaved, and Paul is weaving. And I want, I, we pray as a church, that family, we want these teens to love Scripture, to grow up wanting to read Scripture, and it's okay if it's uncool, you can hide here and it's cool with me. I'm, I'm still cool for like two more years. After that, I'm just weird. But right now, I'm still cool. Teens, I want you to dig into Scripture and to ask questions and, and to, to wrestle with what these things mean and to get an idea of what it looks like to be a, a follower of Christ in a world that's really kind of goofy and strange. And you have to wrestle with all kinds of questions that don't make a lot of sense. Because you guys, you teens have an opportunity to do this thing that Paul's writing about called reconciliation with the rest of the world in a way that's different than I get to. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. Once again, Paul is writing to Philemon, but building this idea in his mind, structuring out, looking at these churches that he planted and saying, I have to teach them a little bit deeper. I have to teach them a little bit more. I got to give them more things to grab a hold of so that they can build up their church. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, verse 11, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast 
about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. The effort and energy of the Corinth church was still the same thing that happens today, this desire to look a certain way, to act a certain way, to be a certain way, and not really addressing what's going on in the heart. So Paul is attacking it. For if we are by, beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he has died for all, and those who might live no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Okay, here we go into the reconciliation piece. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once were regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is what? A new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. All of this from God, who through Christ reconciled us, made us right to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation the ministry of reconciliation, the ability because we have been united with Christ, the ability then to turn around and look at other people and say, I can reconcile you to the Lord because I want to teach you about Jesus and you need to put your faith in Jesus and Jesus will change the way that you view. It gives you new glasses so that you see the world in a different way. You see the world in a way that Jesus walked the earth that he took the time with the woman at the well and told her about her sin and loved her at the same time. He took the time with Levi, who was despised by all kinds of people, and went and had a party at his house. And that Levi spent tons of cash to have all these people over. And they drank and were merry, and he loved Levi. He loved the leper. He hugged the leper and healed the leper. That's the ministry, the activity of reconciliation. That is, Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. Relationships can and will transform the world through the gospel, because of the gospel, and only by the gospel. See, the Christ-centered relationship is never about an escape it would be easy for Onesimus to get on a boat and travel to the ends of the earth and stay away from Philemon. It would have been natural for that to happen. He was trying to do that. See, we don't run from tension in our relationship, in our church, in our family. We don't run from it. See, the Christ-centered relationship is always, always about the embrace. It's always about the hug. It's always about the reconciliation that you have because of Jesus. So I'm going to ask you two questions. Who do you need to embrace? Who's somebody that you have tension with in this room that you got to hug and have your view recalibrated? See, healthy faith doesn't just celebrate you as you are, but it relentlessly molds and refines you into the likeness of Christ which is beautiful, but uncomfortable and painful. Philemon could have been left hosting this beautiful church and happy and loved them. But Paul interrupted that and reminded him of the slave that ran away so that he could teach all the churches, all of the churches, what it looks like to have a relationship 
that's recalibrated and transformative because of the gospel. Last question I have for you, and this is, I think, hard for us to answer. Are you being pushed spiritually? Are you comfortably living your Christian life, just living your Christian life, coasting? Are you dealing with the tension, the uncomfortability, the hurt? I like to do open-handed church. I like to not be, not to pretend like there's this room where we talk about the real things, and then there's this room where we only talk about the good things, right? Sometimes the sanctuary is left for positivity and happiness and good things, right? And we leave the boardroom or these other quiet rooms down the hall for the tension and the frustration and the anger and the hurt. This last week in this church, I've been here for two weeks on Monday. <laughs> it's been fun. I heard of real hurt in this church last week from multiple people in multiple settings. And I know that there's a healing process that needs to take place here. The Lord gave me Philemon randomly, I think, but then all of a sudden it became a real important little book for us to look at. Our relationships here need to be recalibrated towards one another. Under the gospel, 